and welcome back to the Fins Nation UK podcast as we dissect the Miami Dolphins' loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. I am, as ever, your host, Andy Davis, and I'm this week joined by a very special guest. Now, this guy, if you didn't know him already, you would have heard his voice over the weekend. Now, you just see, I'm going to play it on the audio on this podcast right now. You'll, you'll soon recognise this guy's voice in a minute. I just wanted to ask you about the evolution of your scheme uh, in terms of, you know, you started off last year running, I suppose, kind of kamikaze-style RPOs with Tua making sort of first-level reads but pushing the ball vertically down the field with post-wheel uh, post and rail-wheel and, and, and into year two. The evolution has been so quick um, and now you're, you're much more condensed between the numbers. Um, the route depths look a bit different in terms no, of... No, but, like, how awesome is this? <laughs> like, clearly you have an accent, and you know exactly what you're talking about. So, um, I, I'm honored that, you'd, that you're watching our tape. So, if you haven't guessed already, I am with Simon Clancy, who is not only a member of the Gridiron team, but also features heavily on TalkSport as well. So, Simon, first of all, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm not too bad. Was getting not to be in Germany, but um, in a way, you know, um, it, we lost the game. So I didn't. At least I didn't miss out on seeing his win live. That's that's one thing, I suppose. But um, it looked incredible from the atmosphere. Yeah, it was a great atmosphere. It was cold, um, but a good stadium. Fans really packed tightly in. I'm not sure the atmosphere was quite as good as Munich. Um, and actually, I think probably the best atmosphere of the international games that I've been at was Green Bay in London. Uh, last year, but it was excellent. The fans really bought in. Uh, the the city was excellent for a couple of days. Really packed out. Lots to do. Lots to see. So yeah, it was good. All in all, it was a good weekend. I got a lot of good feedback on Jim from people I know who went last year and this year. And people are saying that they actually think it's better overall package in London. I think they say it's better for the fans before the game. Um, and they're saying the atmosphere is louder than London. I mean, I personally thought. I mean, this year especially. When I was in the press box this year, I thought the atmosphere was amazing in London, especially the Bills game. I thought that was really, really good. I thought the Wembley game was good because of the Jags home advantage. There was a lot of Jags fans there. And I thought, even though the away fans were more loud, I thought the Ravens-Titans games as well were was was quite a good atmosphere. And I've not seen London like that for games ever, I don't think. So I think overall, for an international series basis, I know we've got one game left. I think it's been a very good year for showcasing the, the, the European... Uh, fan base of the NFL. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what happens next year because the rumours of the expansion going to South America, to Brazil, um, would be really special as well. But um, now the Germans have really bought in, obviously, just like we have here. And <clears throat> sorry, and they've got a um, a really uh, informed and educated, and you know, the whole of Frankfurt, even from the Thursday when we got there, you know, everybody was walking around with with hats or shirts or coats or or whatever in terms of, and not just the Dolphins and the Chiefs, but every team that you could think of. Uh, and on game day, the atmosphere was was uh, intense. And even in Frankfurt on the Saturday night, it was it was a two-hour queue to get into the Dolphins bar, apparently, I was told. Um, and I saw some of the videos and, and spoke to some people who were there, and they were like, yeah, it was absolutely crazy just trying to get in. You just had to stand in the rain for two hours. And um, so the appetite was there. It was huge. And like I said, people are informed and knowledgeable. And that's really what you need when you're trying to take the game forward. Absolutely. I think it's the best way of trying to develop the European sort of stature, status in the NFL. And I think it's a really, I think the Germany games have really shown that there is a real, um, there's a real scope for having a European team. I think whether that's, you know, four games in London, four games in Germany, I think they've shown 
whether whether it's ticket demand, the million people in the queue, or whether it's just the actual day or weekend of the game as well. I think the appetite that's been shown, I think, shows the NFL that they can actually have a market and have a whole team in Europe and have you know eight nine games a year. And I think that would definitely you know it wouldn't plateau. I think it would you know if you had nine games a year in Europe, I think they would be sold out every single one. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one actually. I don't think the NFL is in any hurry to put a team over here. Uh, for multiple reasons, one of which is logistics, another one is travel for opposing teams uh, and working out bye weeks, etc. for those that want bye weeks off the back of it. But ultimately, most of all, I think it's down to teams um, because, you know, if you are the Jacksonville Jaguars, and let's just pick them because of their association with London, if you are the Jacksonville Jaguars, are you going to want to move your team, your operation, lock stock um to london or are you thinking of moving an entirely new franchise here if it's the former you're obviously going to annoy an enormous fan base uh, back home in jacksonville if it's the latter then you are asking fans who are here to give up fandom of their own team some people who've supported teams back into the late 70s early 80s you know i'm never going to give up my support of the dolphins uh, friends i have are patriots fans and jets fans and 49ers fans and Green Bay fans, they're not going to give up their fandom either. So you're essentially asking an entirely new fan base from scratch to start following a team they have no history with, um, and whilst they have a history with the game, to say that you're going to start supporting the London Chieftains or whoever it might be is quite a big leap of faith, I think. And I'm not sold that the NFL is necessarily wanting to go down that path. So I think it'll be a very interesting uh, discussion moving forward. Like I said, I don't think they're in any hurry. And also the, the success of the games over here just kind of means that they're already on to a great thing. You know, I suspect probably over the weekend, or if you count Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I would imagine Frankfurt had an influx of probably 25 million euros into their economy in terms of, you know, you look at hotel trade, restaurant trade, bars, shops, all of those things, all of the people that came into that city. And it wasn't just people that were coming from the game. And it wasn't just people that were coming from America all of the UK, <clears throat> there were people coming from all over Germany. You know, we were sat in restaurants and stuff, and there were people from Berlin and Hamburg and Kaiserslautern and, and all across Germany who had come just to, not necessarily had tickets, but just were there to soak up the atmosphere. So I think it'll be a really interesting discussion moving forwards. But like I say, I don't think I don't think the commissioner is in any hurry to place a team over here, and I would be surprised if it, you know, he just keeps kicking that can down the road. Yeah, I mean, I think the one chance we've got is probably when Jacksonville redeveloped their stadium. There's talk of them going to a different Florida stage, but I think if that's their one chance where they can try it for just a year, I think if they're going to do it, that's a chance to try it out, even just, just a year and see how they get on. But I I think you're right. I think I certainly wouldn't give up Dolphins. I know a lot of people who wouldn't change teams. I mean, changing I... teams, it's a cardinal sin. I think it's worse than having two teams, in my opinion. Yeah, of course. Teams. Um, I mean, I think teams. Yeah, I think they'll end up either in Orlando or in Tallahassee at Florida States. Don't Campbell there. Um, I, I can't see them moving lock, stock and barrel. I just think that the fan base there, that you're essentially asking to come back to you after two years, but not giving them a, a legitimate option to travel to see their team. I mean, you know, yeah, you can go and see one or two games in London a year, but that's a fairly high level expense to come to, to Europe, to ask to come to Europe eight, nine times a year to see your team when actually, you know, Orlando is within two hours driving, Tallahassee is within two and a half hours driving. And then you're going to say, look, you know, we've built a new stadium and we're going to have to put season tickets up. And I know you haven't been here for the last two years. And we haven't been able to give you any games because we decided to go to London and cash in rather than do it around here. But, you know, can you pay X amount of money for you? I'm, I'm not sure that's a, that's going to be a thing. I think it sounds great. And maybe they move two or three or maybe even a quarter of the schedule to the UK. But I suspect that, 
the majority of Jacksonville's home games will be much close to home. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, speaking of fandom, um, of course, you mentioned before you are a Dolphins fan. Now, your tweet, I think, alluded to slightly why you're a fan. You sound like you're from that era. But why did you pick the Dolphins? Of course, back then, there were many teams to pick when you were first getting into the sport. But what made you pick the Dolphins overall? Um, so it was early 80s, 80, late 83, early 84. I'd been to a children's birthday party to see Ghostbusters. And um, when I came back in, the the person who's part or somebody put on the television and Dickie Davis's wide world of sport, which was kind of the ITV equivalent of grandstand back in the day was on. And the first thing that came up on the screen was this guy just throwing balls. I'd never seen down the field to kind of other guys who were catching it and athletically kind of running into what was obviously the end zone. And it was Dan Marino throwing to, you know, Mark Duper, Mark Clayton, Bruce Hardy, um, that more and I was just absolutely mesmerized. So all the kids were kind of I don't I can't remember what they were doing, but eating birthday cake or playing a game or whatever. And I was just in front of the telly, kind of like mesmerized, and, and that was it really. From that point forwards, I was absolutely obsessed. Um and just did all I could to to try and find out more about the game. There was a guy in my school who was really interested as well my in my tutor group at secondary school, who was really interested in the game, who was a Bears fan. And we just used to talk about the game and kind of try and get more information and there used to be a, a weekly magazine uh, which i think has stopped now weekly newspaper called first down um which i used to get every week for years and, and then i discovered probably i don't know 86 maybe i discovered the armed forces radio um which was like my window into a completely different world which seemed at that time you know so far away and a world that i'd never get to but it was this kind of portal into this game that i'd become absolutely obsessed by so i used to collect statistics and I used to have these little blue school exercise books where I'd I'd write down which running backs had more than 100 yards a week, which receivers had 100 yards receiving, and which quarterbacks had 300-plus yards, which corners or safeties had had two interceptions, and which uh, edges and linebackers had two-plus sacks a game. And I kind of correlated all this information throughout the season. ITV, so college football games from the mid-'80s um, on a Saturday night, but it, it was essentially seven days on so you, you it might be lsu arkansas but it b would be for the week before and LSU might have played in the early window on the saturday so you're actually one game behind um and obviously then channel four started showing games um back in the day so obviously would would watch those but so they would start at nine o'clock uh but you would show you would get a recorded version of one of the six o'clock games so yeah, and that was it really. I was just that I just spent all my time doing that. All my friends were kind of out partying and drinking and chasing girls. And I was like, had my ear next to the radio, kind of listening to Spanish opera as it faded in and out whilst I was trying to catch the end of a Dolphins game or the end of whatever game there was. You know, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night, I would be listening to the radio till three, four in the morning until I dropped off asleep. And then kind of desperately trying to find out what the final score was. And he had to, you know. Teletext often didn't have the answer, so you'd have to wait to the following day. This was pre-internet, obviously. So you'd have to wait to the following day until like the International Herald Tribune newspaper landed in the UK and you could look at the box score and see what happened. So that was uh that was kind of the the bedrock of my childhood, really, is was was kind of just the game and finding out more about it. And the dolphins were at the absolute heart of that. Can you imagine anticipation of having to wait over a day? No. score must have been must have been killing you <laughs> there used to be um they used to be they used to have a um a like a premier uh phone line that you could phone up for like you remember those like pr uh premier rate phone lines that you could phone up and it was like a pound a minute or whatever and they would they would have like 
kind of american music and uh, some voice would kind of give you the scores but obviously like my parents caught on to it that like the phone bill was suddenly going up by you know incrementally every week and it was clear that you know what something was going on i had to like hastily explain that i wasn't phoning up some sort of you know low rent sex talk phone line thing that you know it was to find out the uh the dolphins results so the other thing would be with the, was the draft i was obsessed with the draft um and i would the only way of finding out what was happening and who was being selected was that the, the staff sergeants who ran who did the um the armed forces stuff would read out the, the first round at the end of the first round so you'd wait all evening not knowing because there was no other way of finding out there was literally no other way of finding out and the staff sergeants would literally read through you know pick one was so and so the second pick it was so and so and there were three years running where the Dolphins had picks. And I think the picks were Sammy Smith, John Bosa, and Eric Kumaro, or Yatil Green, Eric Kumaro, and John Bosa, whoever. And each time it got to the Dolphins pick, the, 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 um, it would start to fade out. And you would kind of, the, 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 the Spanish opera or whatever it was would start to come in. You'd be like, no, 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 no. And then it would kind of fade back up. And, and the Dolphins, let's say they were picking, because uh, they were kind of picking like 15, 16, 17 at that time. And so at pick 15, it would start to kind of crackle and the signal would fade. And then you'd like be like, and then you'd come back up at 18. You'd be like, oh my God, like what? what? So you'd have to wait, like either stay awake for like another two or three hours to hear them recap it. Or again, you'd be back to the kind of the newspaper or the, the phone line thing. So yeah, it was a, but that was just life. That was just, you know, there was no expectation that there was anything else that, so I was working and I used to work for BBC for a long time. I was deputy head of sport at Five Live for for many years i can remember sitting in the back of a taxi i was doing the i was the bbc's head of editorial at the paralympics and i can remember sitting in a taxi one night after the end of the athletics and going back to my hotel and it was kind of late and i was <clears throat> sat on my phone watching monday night sunday night football monday night football on hd in hd on my phone and i was like thinking and i like i got quite emotional actually and i was like thinking wow this is like you know it's incredible. I've sat in the back of a taxi in Rio de Janeiro watching live coverage of a game on a, you know, on a telephone. And when I was growing up, the telephone was the way that I would find out because I'd have to phone the, so I would never have imagined, you know, a world where that existed. It was, it was a pretty cool moment, I've got to say. And I can imagine that you got even more surreal just the other day when you managed to get into the Dolphins press conference. And of course, this clip has gone viral. You've probably already seen it, but of course for you, um, for you, obviously, that whole moment happened for you where you were, you know, 12, 30, 40 years after you first discovered Dan Marino and the Dolphins, you're in the press conference and the head coach is actually praising you for your knowledge and giving you a lot of, uh, giving yeah. you a lot of praise. So just for you, just how have you, how did you find that moment, but also how the reaction has been in terms of people on Twitter, from McDaniel itself, just how was that yeah. over? Because I think you um, mentioned as well about the fact that a certain player may have also asked Will Gavin about it as well. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the funny thing is that, you know, I've been in NFL locker rooms and press conferences for years and years and years. You know, this is not my first rodeo, as it were. You know, I asked Joe Philbin in London whether or not he was getting sacked on the plane on the way home. I've, you know, I've spoken to Adam Gaze and, you know, Sean LaFleur, um, Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay and Bill Belichick and Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and, and you know Julio Jones and a million other players in locker rooms you know have had borrowed Mark Ingram's afro comb and you know asked Marshall Latimer why he had three mobile phones and why Julio Jones has $10,000 in cash in his locker and you know 
uh, I've had lots of interactions with lots of players over the years and, um, you know, a lot of things, for for example, with Rogers, I've got quite a good relationship with Aaron Rogers to the point where, you know, he came up to me at the Grove and I was just walking through the through the um, the trees kind of after the press conference and shook hands. And yeah, he remembers me every time we, you know, I see him and I've probably spoke to him five, six times in press conferences over the years. And he came over to talk to me in the Packers locker room after, after they beat Miami a few years ago and we were chatting for about 10 minutes. So, um, so yeah, it's not, that. that's kind of the first point really. It's, um, you know, it, it's not a, um, it's not a situation that I'm not used to. Um, how it came about was that, and, and I felt slightly uncomfortable with it actually in a way in that a lot of the sort of beat reporters and American reporters generally have sort of taken a few unnecessary strays because of it in terms of, you know, lots of the response, which has been pretty overwhelming has been, you know, our American reporters need to do this or we need to hire you and can you come to Atlanta or can you come to Chicago or can you come to New England and can you come to so-and-so and replace X, Y, and Z and you're better than all of these people and blah, blah, blah. And actually, you know, my job, is to gather material for Gridiron the magazine, and you know that that's in long form format. So you know if the Dolphins get to the playoffs, Dolphins get to the Super Bowl, we do a piece, a cover piece on Mike McDaniel or whatever. Then I have excellent material because he gave a three and a half four minute answer to my question uh, in terms of talking about his scheme. My job, if I was a beat reporter, is something completely different. I'm trying to find out what the latest injury news is, what the who's coming off IR all of those little things. Uh, so it's a very different, um, it's a very different thing. How was it? It was, I mean, look, again, I, I'm, as you probably already gathered, I'm pretty nostalgic in terms of, I love nostalgia. And, um, you know, so talking about what happened back in the eighties is, is kind of neat to me. Um, so the idea, uh, as I tweeted out, the idea that, you know, 11 year old me, he was trying desperately to listen to whether or not Miami had drafted the player that I wanted to, or listen to the end of a, you know, the game where the Dolphins came back to beat the Chiefs and back in, you know, it was Marino against Steve DeBerg back in 87 or whatever it was, 91. Um, if you'd have told me then that I'd be asking questions of the Dolphins head coach and, and, and getting that reaction, I would never have believed it. But it's not the first Dolphins head coach I've spoken to. It's probably the fifth or the sixth. But um, And a lot of the credit, credit in inverted commas, has to go to McDaniel because, you know, he's open to those sorts of things and he's a bit of a nerd and... You know, I talked about it earlier on, but, you know, anybody that issues going out and getting drunk and, and hanging out with girls to sit and write, you know, the fact that Joe Montana threw for 336 yards and two touchdowns, uh, you know, is a bit of a nerd as well, probably. So um, I think there was an element of that to it, um, but it was it was fun. It was a fun moment and it kind of highlighted what McDaniel's all about, really, which is really kind of inclusive. Um, and the reaction has been um reaction's been kind of unbelievable, really. Um, slightly overwhelming, like I said. Uh I think I I mean, I think the video I saw earlier on today, just the one I tweeted out has had two point seven million views. I think the TikTok is closing in on four million. I think the CBS thing on Instagram is three million or something. It's it's pretty mental. Um and I've had uh, I must have had God knows, 10,000 interactions in terms of just people like sending me messages or direct messages or tweets or quote tweets or so, yeah, it's been great. And it's been, you know, lots of the people that I admire and I work with, you know, who work for other teams or who write for other teams or who cover other teams, but also, you know, people like 
I don't know, going, so yeah, people who work for other teams like Aaron Nagler at the Packers, Pete Bukowski at the Packers, Arif Hassan of the Vikings. Um, I've had personnel people at teams, Andrew Whitworth, Colin Cowherd, Mina Kimes, um, Kay Adams, but all people that I've kind of dealt with at Super Bowls or you know, playoff games and things, which, you know, which is great. And it, it's just nice to have that. And, um, and some people said, oh, you know, why, you know, you took quite a long time to ask the question which is absolutely true but as uh you know i'm english obviously and uh, it's much easier to ask an nfl head coach a complex question if you have an american accent i have to prove to the coach that i understand what i'm talking about for him to be able to validate that question with an answer that's legitimate enough for it to mean anything um and so that's kind of what i did but i just find him really interesting as a person and i wanted to know about and essentially what i wanted to know and, and actually he didn't answer and why would he was that you know our scheme has gone from what it was which was you know those kamikaze style rpos pushing the ball down the field from, despite making first level reads into this much more condensed uh turning back to the defense rpo has become window dressing rather than, than manipulation um and that's what it is now but i'm keen to know where he takes it next because there has to be another iteration for him to stay ahead of the game um and it was clear that he wasn't going to tell me whether or not he was working on it or not. And that's really what I wanted to get to was the, you know, where are you going? Uh, you know, what is it going to look like? Have you started work on it yet? Is it in your head? That kind of mad genius. And um, I think those things are interesting, but I don't think they're for everybody. I don't think skiing questions are for everyone. And there's plenty of people out there that would like to know whether or not, um, you know, what Mike's opinion would be if Taylor Swift turned up to the stadium in Frankfurt and it's a broad church of fans and it's a broad church of journalists and I think there's room for everybody there. So it was, um, but it, it was a good moment. It was, a, you know, it was a, it was a fun moment and we've laughed about it and I've had lots of people call me Trent Krim of the Independent from Ted Lasso. <laughs> my missus, my missus calls me Trent Krim from the Independent. She thinks it's absolutely hilarious. Um, In fact, she went to work today. She's a, she's a TV producer and director and she went to, to work on the Champions League. When I opened the cupboard earlier on to get some coffee out, there was a message saying, here's your coffee, Trent Krim, because um, she's such a comedian like that. And um, so, yeah, it's um, it's been it's been fun. It's been funny. Uh, it's been, like I said, a bit overwhelming. And um, I'm kind of glad that the notifications are slightly slowed down a bit on my uh, social media because my phone was pretty much burning up. So. You can imagine, imagine it was um, pigging left, right and centre. Um, yeah. Now, heading on to the game itself, it was a 21 to 14 loss. The first time, I believe, since 2021, we've been shut out in the first half. But we came back, we even shut them out in the second half with no points conceded in the second half. Our defence, I think, is by far our best performance of the season on that side of the ball. Um, but the offence, looking at stats, two I had 193 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions with a 21 completions from 34 attempts. Raheem most led the rushing game with 85 yards, one touchdown from 12 carries. And Tyree Kill led the way, albeit not one of his best afternoons, uh, with 62 yards, zero touchdowns from eight carries. Cedric Wilson got another touchdown in the game, and then defensively, there was one sack for Jaden Phillips, as well as Bradley Chubb. And yeah, there was definitely, in this game, I felt reasons to be hopeful, and then reasons to be a bit underwhelmed, I think, for me. The obvious one is the media narrative not beating a winning team again. I mean, we haven't beaten a winning team since week three last year when he beat Buffalo, uh, which is a worry because we have played three good teams, all of them not at home. But you have to worry about that. But on the flip side, 
to really to give Mahomes that much problems and limit Kelsey to just was it sixteen yards from three carries or something like that? I, I think, think he had two catches for seven yards and or something. Was that was the stat I saw? He got uh, yeah. he carries for a... yards. Um, but either way, I mean, you know, we lost. I think it was. I think we gave the Chiefs a tough game a few years ago in a very much more high scoring game. I think it was twenty twenty one or was it twenty twenty. But then, you know, I think it was really good to see, even though the first half was terrible. Uh, I think it was really encouraging to see how the defense did perform in the second half, and I think that should give us encouragement when it comes to the playoffs that we can compete with these teams. Yeah, no, I agree, and I, I actually. Um... I mean, there's plenty, plenty to go out there. I came away not being overly worried about about that performance, frankly. I mean, I thought the first half we looked a bit, you know, we looked like the ones that just got off the fly. But the narrative is the narrative, right? It's not going to change unless you beat somebody. And it's a fact that the Dolphins haven't beat being a team with a winning record. You can't change that. But you can only beat the teams that are put in front of you, okay? that You can only beat the schedule. Um you know, and if you want to play the game of narratives, then that's absolutely fine and utterly justifiable. But you know, the team that beat the team that the Dolphins beat by fifty points beat the team that beat the Dolphins this weekend comfortably the week before. You, do you know what I mean? The the NFL, you know, those guys over there get paid as well. You know, the Chiefs defenders get paid as well. Um, I thought Miami's defense was outstanding uh, after the first drive. I thought, you know, it was. Um, interesting that Patrick Mahomes never challenged Xavier Howard and especially Jalen Ramsey. He got no change from Katie Kohu. I loved how they played Travis Kelsey. I think that'll be really instructive moving forward if the teams meet again in the playoffs. Um, and I think offensively they played well uh, at times. I think they were a bit too inconsistent at times. Um, that to me is more of an issue than anything and uh, tailored with uh, their inability to perhaps get lined up in the right place and some of the, the sort of pre-snap penalties that killed a couple of drives, that has to get that has to get sorted out because it was a problem down the stretch last year in Buffalo, both in the night game on a Saturday that they lost really the really close game and the playoff game. Um, that needs to get straightened out. But you go back to the Philadelphia game. They had a touchdown taken off the board because of a of a hook penalty, a holding penalty on Lester Cotton. Uh, Tyreek essentially drops a walk-in touchdown, which hits his knee, goes out the back of the end zone, or goes into the end zone, is recovered for a, for a touchback, or maybe it was called incomplete. One of the two. But anyway, that 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 was to tie the game. They're driving then to to retie the game, when, and Cedric Wilson has his face mask pulled, and the, uh, the, there's no call. Now, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, and if my aunt had balls, she'd not be my uncle. But there are you know elements in that game where you think, um, you know, the bounce of the ball goes the other way. The ball doesn't hit Tyreek's knee. And if Cedric, you know, that's an automatic first down, um, who knows what happens at that point. And it's the same on Sunday. You know, there were there were plenty of opportunities. There was, a, you know, Tyreek had two really big drops, um, both very catchable balls. There was the penalty on the, when they were driving down 7-0 when, when Jalen made the catch uh, away from his body and it got called back for a, for a, for a penalty for the illegal motion on, on Wilson and Tyreek, which was fairly questionable given that both of them weren't moving at the snap. Uh, and they seem to have reset for one second. And then, you know, even the final drive, um, you know, you look at the third down and the throw to Cedric Wilson, uh, which clearly, uh, you know, I was in a press conference with McDaniel afterwards, which was a site adjustment that Tua um, gave Wilson. And there was a series of combinations on that route and uh, he chose the wrong one. Um, now, there is an element to think that Tua could have seen Wilson breaking past the Jerry, uh, breaking past Jalen Watson and just put it over his head into the end zone. And then the fourth down, look, 
I don't think it was a great snap, but I don't think it was a terrible snap. I I think Tua probably should have caught it. Um, but I don't think it was anybody's fault per se. I think it can be both people's fault without it being a massive issue. And I think if you know if you catch that snap and Lester Cotton does a better job of uh, of picking up Brian Brian Cook who is blitzing, Jalen Waddle is wide open across the middle and it's a walking touchdown. Um, and I mean wide open, one on one against the safety Justin Reed who's flat footed and Jalen's running across his face in front of him. There's no way you're stopping him from scoring. So Tua just needs to catch it, takes two steps, and and that's a touchdown. Um, so I think there are plenty of things to be positive about. And the negatives, look, I'd rather, I care more about Miami beating teams in December and January than I care about Miami beating good teams in October and November. If you want to beat a load of good teams in September, October and November, knock yourself out. But if you're going to turn around and lose to the big big teams in December and January, then what what's it all for? I would much rather lose close games as we did to Philadelphia, as we just did to Kansas City. And then beat Buffalo, beat Dallas, beat Baltimore, and then get into the tournament, host a divisional round playoff game against, let's say, the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Cleveland Browns, beat them, and then you're you're one game away from the Super Bowl. And yeah, you have, may, maybe you have to go on the road to Buffalo, maybe you have to go on the road to Cincinnati, maybe you have to go on the road to Kansas City. That's as maybe, okay. But you know, given everything that we've done, if everybody's healthy, we get Devon HM back and, and those sorts of things. You look at the. You know, I would fancy our chances against most teams, given the situations that we found ourselves in at the end of games and haven't quite been able to get over the hump. I would much rather be a team that is pressing in January and December than a team that is pressing in and peaking in, you know, in October and September. And you know, it, we're getting to the point now. Thanksgiving to me, it's Thanksgiving onwards. I'm I'm starting to look for teams that are beginning to find their feet around about Thanksgiving. And the Cincinnati Bengals are, are that team, you know, struggled off the off the blocks, obviously with the injury to Joe Burrow. That's a team now that's really beginning to get some momentum, really beginning to pick up uh, and a team that you wouldn't want to meet when it comes to, to the tournament, as I say. But for me, I think the Dolphins have got plenty to go at. And there's a five-game stretch now. They've got a week off and then you've got a five-game stretch with the Raiders, Washington, Tennessee and the Jets twice. Even if you split that Jets game, those Jets game, you're... You, you, you know, you're heading to that final three games, two of which are at home against Dallas and Buffalo, uh, having gone four and one over the, the last five weeks. That, to me, is a perfect position for a team that probably would only need to win one of those three. Two of them are at home. And, you know, if you can beat Dallas at home, you can beat Buffalo at home, then you're probably going to end up as the number two, at worst, the number three seed, and you'll be AFC's champions. And you'll host a game at a rocking stadium in the evening that will absolutely sell out because it won't be hot. Um, and I would fancy our chances to beat a you know, a wild card team, you know, a Pittsburgh or a Cleveland, somebody like that, maybe even a Denver if they can get get themselves, you know, get their feet back under them. And then who knows what could happen in an AFC Championship game. I think you're right, because I think, first of all, I think we do miss HA. I think he'd have been great for this game in terms of those check down passes, those green passes and what he can bring in that game as well as on the ground, the ground game. And, you know, you look at, I always go back to, and also, having Ramsey and Howard in the same team, I think is massive as well. Um, but I think I always go back to, was it the, the 2020 season? The Buccaneers, they lost two games in the regular season to the Saints and lost one to the Chiefs. In the playoffs, they beat the Saints, won all their games on the road, and then they beat the Chiefs uh, in the Super Bowl. So I think that it goes back to what you're saying. You don't win Super Bowls in November, and you don't lose them in November either. I think it's um, all about 
This is why the Patriots were so good all these years. They every year the Patriots they would start off, you know, they'd have one and two starts. They'd have you know maybe five and four starts or something. They they wouldn't start off. They'd use the first two two year two months basically as almost like preseason. They go yeah, into Albeit, thanks to an easy division, they'd often win the division and get, you know, sometimes playoff by, sometimes home advantage, and that's it. But then they'd go into, get a good run of form going in December, early January, and then going into playoffs. And I think this is what the Bengals are going to be doing. I think it's what they're doing. Because I think for me, Burrow, if you remove the whole draft position thing, he's basically, for me, Tom Brady 2.0. He has that playoff gene where he seems to excel in big games. And what we've seen in the last two years, especially, that the Bengals will start off slow, but they'll come good when it matters. And even you know, even in the Chiefs game, they beat them and they start off that game slow and end up winning it and come back. So for me, I think the Bengals, for me, are a team to watch. I think they, for me, probably my pick right now to win, well, them or the Chiefs to win the AFC, I think they'll be, I can't say, unless they play the Chiefs in the divisional rounds, I can see him almost being a guarantee for me to make the the, the AFC Championship game. And I think who knows from now on end. So I think do do using that to the first, I think we've yeah, we've lost to the Eagles, Bills and, and Chiefs, but we're gonna learn from that so much when it comes to players, we're gonna know what to do, what not to do. And you know, if we get everyone healthy and you know, I think all that combined, I think we shouldn't really knock ourselves out. We shouldn't really count ourselves out. And I think that our offense is so electric. We can we can beat any team on a day with our offense when everyone's clicking. You've got Hill and Waddle both healthy, HA and most are both healthy, two and the O line performs as well as it has at times this year. That offense alone can win your game. And then you add in the defense, which at times this year hasn't been at its best. But if you add in how they played on Sunday and have that alongside an offense that is clicking on all cylinders, like like against the Chargers, like against the the Patriots in the second game you played against them and stuff like that. I think that's a really good team. I think on our day, if everything goes our way, we can beat anyone. I really, I really believe that. So I think there's definitely positives to take. But obviously, it's always a shame not not to win these, not to win these games because you want to yeah. be, be the best it's, team. Thing is, Andy, though, it's one game, and that's what McDaniel said in the press conference on Friday. You know, if if we don't win the game, we're going to win the Super Bowl, and if you lose the game, you can't beat anybody. And I, I think the the perfect example is to look at the Rams. You know. The, the Rams, you go back to the, the team that we're being compared to, um, they had a very, very easy schedule and people expected them to fold in the playoffs. Um, and I think if I remember rightly, because I was looking at it the other day, they they had like 10 kind of stomp victories where they were won by sort of 14 plus points um, against sub 500 teams. Uh, I think the, the only... I think the only game they played against a winning team in the regular season, they lost uh, and they won the Super Bowl. You go back to 2021, the Rams team that won the Super Bowl, they lost all five games in the regular season to teams with a winning record and they ended up hey, winning the Super Bowl. So, I like that. You know, I, like that. I, I, I just don't think that, you know, it's every game is equal, right? In terms of whether you win or you lose and how it ends up in the column. Uh, and some games are greater than others, even though they're equal. And to me, those games that are greater come late on in November, in December, and in January. And realistically, they come from about mid-December through to mid mid-January. If you're a team that's falling off the cliff at that point, then you have no chance of going to the Super Bowl. I'd much rather beat Baltimore and Dallas and Buffalo than beat Buffalo, Philadelphia, and Kansas City. And, you know, if you lose all six of those, it still doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to fold in the playoffs. Maybe it's instructive as to to what happens and it becomes a mental thing. But give me victories over Baltimore, Dallas and Buffalo, over Buffalo, Kansas City and um, and Philadelphia any day of the week. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a massive uh, last three games on the stretch. I mean, to have 
Dallas on what will be for us Christmas Day morning, but for most, for most Americans, Christmas Eve, Buffalo on New Year's Eve, sorry, Baltimore on New Year's Eve, and then Buffalo, which will be probably on my birthday on Sunday, um, which should be a cracking week 18 game. I think that's also really important in terms of getting ready for those big teams kind of playoffs because you could easily have those three games, say weeks 11, 12, 13, and have, I don't know, Washington, Tennessee Raiders in the last three games, and then, but and then going to playoffs on the back of maybe easier teams. But if you're playing three amazing teams, that gives you that preparation. And then next week, you play, it's almost like you're playing five playoff games in a row. If you, if you, if you can, it's almost like you've got three, really they are almost like playoff games against the Cowboys, Bills and, and um, Ravens. I think then you're basically in that, you're in that mode, you're in that mode of winning against good teams. I think that that will, that might help us, I think, down the stretch. I think that would be a really important, really important period in, in our season. And I'm looking forward to seeing what we can do. Uh, before we do end this podcast today, I want to ask you, we're starting this new segment because it's that time of the season where you can give your predictions, you're eligible to give predictions. Um, how far do you think the Dolphins will go in the playoffs? What's your prediction in terms of the overall season? Wildcard, divisional, Super Bowl, how are you feeling? Uh, I think they will go to the AFC Championship game. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going for a divisional round at the moment. Um, I think that I, I can see us finally winning a playoff game. I think both us and the Lions are actually primed to end our streak as being the longest two playoff win droughts. Um, but I just think, I, I for me, even though we it's only November, I think until we beat a team like a Chiefs or Bills, I just, I just don't see us beating them in the playoffs yet. I think on our day we can beat them, but I think right now I think I still, you know, on right now I I'd still pick the Ravens, Bills, more so the Ravens, Bengals, and Chiefs to beat us if you came across them in the divisional round. And of course, hopefully for our sake, season goes away and that the Chiefs and Bengals play each other in the divisional round, or maybe the Ravens and Chiefs play each other. But I think I'll be happy with that divisional. I think it's progress. I know we obviously had high aspirations early on in the season, but I think if you can get to the playoffs yet again for second year in a row, which you haven't done in a long time, back-to-back playoff years, and also win our first playoff game since 2000 and make the divisional round, I think that's, for me, progress. Anything more is a bonus, and I think um, if we can get to the championship game or further, that would be amazing. I don't know what your plan would be if you made it. I mean, I always told, do I go to Vegas or do I go to Miami? I think I'm torn. I'm, I'm torn. Do I stay with fans or do I go to Vegas? But I think that's probably uh, thinking too far ahead at the moment. I don't want to get my hopes up too much. <laughs> you are you are definitely doing some serious forward planning there. But uh, like I think if this is a team that that can win two of those last three, you know the the level that, that will give you heading into the playoffs to a home playoff game on wildcard weekend, and then a home if you win the FC East, a home divisional playoff round game as well. You know you win four out of those five. Um, sets you up in an AFC title game and who knows what could happen, you know, and maybe the Chiefs or the Ravens get knocked off and you host that as well. So um, I think it's all to play for and we're absolutely, at six and three, we're absolutely in the game. So that's all you can ask at this point. Great stuff. But that is where we'll end the podcast for today. So first of all, thank you, Simon, for coming on. Pleasure, Andy. Thanks for having me, mate. No problem at all. And we'll catch you guys for the next episode.